Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Bless us, O God, that we may be inspired by your Spirit and moved into service so that we may praise the name of your Son and show his love to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, I am married to a school teacher, which means every summer she gets a nice long vacation. Usually, what, six to eight weeks of, of summer relaxation, although she often finds many projects to do around the house. But what it means is that when we go on vacation, her ideas of a vacation and mine are very different. Because, see, I get four weeks total throughout the year, whereas she's got a whole block of time. So when she gets back from wherever we've been, she can still rest, whereas I have to go back to work. Well, as many of you know, we just got back from Hawaii a couple weeks ago. And I know I talked about it last week, and I promise I won't talk about it again, maybe. Um, but, <laughs> but we were in Hawaii, and two weeks ago today was our last full day there. And so my idea was that we would just take some time and rest and relax. Because we had been going, going, going the whole time we've been there. And understandably so. I mean, there was so much to see and so much to do. And, you know, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But I did need sort of a break to, to rest before we came back home. Well, the view from the beach at our hotel looked like this. Right there is Diamond Head in Honolulu. It is a famous crater that showed up about 200,000 years ago. It's a volcanic crater, and so um, it was turned into like a military bunker on top, I guess, so people could see the top of it. And so now it is a state park that people go and hike. And so Stacy had the idea, hey, this is our last chance. Let's go hike Diamond Head. Now, folks, that's a big crater. Do I look like a hiker to you? <laughs> That didn't seem very relaxing at all. And so I'm like, no, sweetheart, you know, we, I just want to rest. And, and I, I really don't feel like hiking that mountain. So we went hiking. <laughs> and at first it was nice and calm. It was, you know, the, the path was paved and, and it was, you know, just fine. But then it started to change a little bit. We started going up. And we found that the trail wrapped around and around and around and stacked on top of each other. And, and, and it got higher and higher as we went. And so the whole time we're looking at the very top, knowing where we're supposed to go, and we're looking at the bottom of people who were above us and looking down at the heads of others. And then after it wraps around like that, we came to a big set of stairs, that had about 30 stairs, that would you go straight up, and then it would go into a tunnel. And this tunnel was about 250 feet long, and it was dark, and, you know, I'm not claustrophobic, so that was no big deal, and that was actually flat, so that was a relief after all those stairs. But then when you get to the end of the tunnel, you get this, 99 more stairs that might as well have just been a ladder, okay? It was like this. And you're going straight up these 99 stairs. And oh, by the way, there's no air conditioning up there, just saying. Um, and so you, you go up and then you get to this. 
a spiral staircase. How lovely. That felt like it was about eight stories tall. And so you go up the spiral staircase around and around and around, and you finally come to the top where you're trying to reach, except for the fact that those stairs were in the way between you and the very top of this thing. So we climbed that too. But then when we got up there, this is what we saw. And it was a spectacular view. And if you looked around from all sides, you could basically see the entire island of Honolulu. It was breathtaking. It was amazing. And I got to tell you, as impressed as I was at the, at the scenery and everything that was around me, I was also very impressed with myself. <laughs> because I had done it. I had climbed Diamond Head. And, and I, it was just a great achievement, it felt like, because we made it to the top of this, this huge crater, this mountain. And, you know, it felt great to be up there, literally on top of the world. You know, it's always great when you achieve something, isn't it? It, it feels wonderful. Now, granted, this wasn't like the greatest achievement of all times. I mean, given my parents had done the same thing about eight years ago when they were in their mid to late 60s. But still, it felt like a big achievement for me, right? Do I look like a hiker again? No. But we made it, and it felt wonderful. You know what it's like to achieve something, right? How good it feels. And, and they're not always big achievements. I mean, maybe you mowed your grass after it's been raining for three weeks. You turn around and, wow, that looks really good. Or, or you finished a puzzle that you've been working on. I mean, that's not going to change the world or anything, but it feels great to have achieved it, right? I mean, but sometimes the things that we achieve are much bigger than that. Graduating from high school or college or, or graduate school, um, earning a promotion at, at work or, or, or having children or getting married or, or just publishing a book or, or living out a dream that you've always had. There are some achievements that just seem monumental, and in your life they are. And it feels incredible when you actually get there, when you actually achieve that goal, doesn't it? But you know, for as many goals as we have achieved, there are so many more that are just left behind, right? And it's not because we failed at them most of the time. Usually, it's because we don't even try. We, we see this, this path ahead of us, and it just seems so long and too hard, too high, too expensive, too impossible. And we allow our, our fears and our doubts and our attitude of, of just insurmountability to totally infect us. And, and so we just, we just don't do it because we, it feels so impossible that why even try, right? I kind of wonder if that's how the disciples were feeling in our gospel lesson today. I mean, it's a familiar story to us and it's told in all four gospels. This is John's take on it. And what, what we hear is that a huge crowd is gathering around it and coming at the feet of Jesus. And he sees this crowd. And so he goes over to Philip and says, Hey, how do you think we're going to feed all these people? Hmm? Now, of course, Jesus knew what he was going to do. But he said, Philip, Philip said to him, Look, 
Six months wages wouldn't feed all those people, even a little bit. Then all of a sudden, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, pipes in. He goes, oh, but hey, this kid over here, he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And then I think he realizes what he said and basically is like, yeah, that's about like filling a lake with an eyedropper. Um, you know, what's that going to do? And so Jesus is like, here, hold my beer. Okay? And he says, have all the people sit down. And then he takes the bread, blesses it, and breaks it, and it's passed out among the people. And then the same with the fish. And everyone not only had their fill, but he sends his disciples out to take up the leftovers, 12 baskets full. And now realize in John's gospel, anytime you hear a number, basically it's symbolic for something. And this time it's, it's symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. So what he's saying here is there's enough left over for the entire world. So out of five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus not only feeds 5,000, but has leftovers to spare. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? But it ain't over yet. Because then they try to take Jesus as, as his king. And so he goes away to a deserted place and to pray. And for some reason, we don't know why, the disciples are like, oh, well, he'll find us. And they, go, they get in the boat and they head off across the sea. And while they're there, a big storm rolls in and, and the, the waves are moving in. And out. But they're all out, out in, the, in the horizon. They see Jesus walking to them in the water. And needless to say, they're terrified because I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody walking on water, and neither had they. And so Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. And they were about to get him in the boat, but then they realized, hmm, we're here. Now, folks, that too is an amazing miracle. The fact that Jesus could defy nature, walk on water, and come to his disciples. But i got to tell you, when I read the gospel this week, I got a little frustrated. Because I know what's coming down the road. You see, we follow what's called the Revised Common Lectionary, as you know. And so every three years, there's a cycle of readings that comes around that we're kind of assigned. You know, it doesn't mean we have to use them, but, you know, it, we generally do and go through this cycle. Well, the next four weeks, count them, one, two, three, four. You know what the theme is? The bread of life. The bread of life. The bread of life. The bread of life. These are two great miracle stories back to back. I could have preached a sermon on both of them. But no, instead they thought, hey, let's just make the pastors preach on the same thing for four weeks in a row. That's a good idea. So I had to think, all right, so why did they do it this way? Why did they leave these two together? You know, these are two great miracles. You can preach on the walking on the water, say, hey, you know, Jesus, nothing stops at Jesus. Uh, from coming to people. You can preach on the, the feeding of the 5,000. So why, why have them together? And so I thought about that. And this is what I came up with. We have a God who can walk on water and yet still uses what the disciples have to do his work. I'll say that again. We have a God who can walk on water and yet still uses what the people have to make the miracle happen. Isn't that incredible? Because, I mean, clearly Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and fed the 5,000, right? But instead, he uses what the people have. 
He uses what his disciples have. He uses what that small boy has. And through it, he is able to feed all of the people and then some. And I think that says something to us. And what it says is this. That we have a God, even though God is powerful enough to at a snap of the finger do whatever God wants to do. The Almighty still uses you and me to make miracles happen. Over the last few weeks, I have sort of gained an understanding of stuff, and it's this. I have come to believe that God intends to save the world through the, through the work of individual congregations. The people of God coming together to do amazing things. I believe that the churches, individual churches, here and there and there and there and there, all have been put in a place, in a specific place, at a specific time, for a specific reason. And every one of those is different. And we are filled, or maybe not so filled, with the people in those places to do what God wants us to do. Not only individually, but collectively. But when we hear that, so much of the time we get this attitude of insurmountability. This attitude of insecurity. This attitude of impossibility and we look at it and we say that's too much that's too big it's too impossible it's too expensive we can't possibly do that but we have a God who takes our five loaves and two fish and feeds the world imagine what God can do through you and me individually and what God can do through us collectively God has a plan for Pisgah, just like God has a plan for St. Matthew's and Nazareth and, and, and St. Peter's and, and, and Mount Horeb and Lexington Baptist and all of these churches together. We all have a purpose. And God uses what his people have to make miracles happen. Look, folks, we live in a pretty messed up world right now. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we can't seem to agree that the sky is blue and two plus two is four anymore. The only way that that's going to get fixed, I believe, is through the churches of our Savior. Through the Christian churches throughout the world. I don't care what the last name of the church is or even the first name of the church. But I believe that the congregations, if we learn to work together, if we learn to offer what we have, our five loaves and two fish, just step back and watch what the Almighty can do through us. I have no doubt in my mind that God can make miracles happen through you and me, my friends. But as it says in our six signs of living, you and I have to step up. We have to be willing to share our, our time, our talent, and our treasures. We have to be willing to offer what it is that we have. Our five loaves, our two fish, or whatever it may be. So that God's work can be done. And when we do that, when we all do that, when it, we, we collect all of our five loaves and two fish... That's how the world gets fed. That's how work gets done. That's how God's purpose is met. We may look at a mountain and think it is unclimbable. But through the power of God, my friends, nothing is impossible. God is calling us, individually and collectively, to step up and make miracles happen. Amen.